Welcome to this special edition of the Storecast Self Storage Industry Interview Series for the Self Storage Association Asia Expo. We're delighted to join and interview and introduce some guests from the market down under. Plenty to learn and some great stories to share, so let's get stuck into it. My guest is Thomas Whalen, CEO of Rent-A-Space in Sydney, Australia, and a four-time Australian Olympian. Thomas, uh, as a four-time Olympian, was vice-captain of the 2004 water polo team and captained Australia at the Olympics in 2008, uh, which, is, which is an incredible sporting achievement. So, Thomas, welcome to Storecast, uh, and thanks for taking the time to join us. Thanks, thanks for having me. Great, great to be here. Thomas, tell us a little bit, if you can, about your self-storage business, number of stores, net letable area, etc., and also a little bit about how your family entered the industry. Yeah, sure. We've got, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, we're in the Sydney metropolitan area. Uh, we're into the growth areas of Sydney, um, the Sydney metropolitan area. We've got 12 operating assets and we've got two under construction at the moment, one we just started the other day, which is a very exciting time for us for growth and another three in, in various stages of planning. And we also have a commercial development where it was originally a self-storage DA, but the market of Alexandria in the fringe suburb of uh, just outside the Sydney CBD, that's, that was an opportunity we saw for a commercial development. So we've got that um, all ready to go and, and just waiting pre-lease. Um, in terms of the, the, the business, yeah, my father started the business back in uh, around 1979. In probably around the late 70s, he'd uh, just sold the laundromat business um, and was traveling with the family and um, took six months off and just, just to take some time out and consider some other options and came across self-storage in, in the US and saw all these orange roller doors everywhere and eventually drove into one of them and asked some questions. Uh, the store manager at the time uh, opened the books up and shows the, showed him how it works and uh, he just loved the idea. Um, obviously a, a property business, a property play, recurring revenue. Um, and so brought that idea back to, the, back to Australia suggested to his business partner that he has a look as well. He was just as excited. Um, they opened up their first one in Padstow in about 1979 um, and made up some pricing, which they thought people would be willing to pay, which was an absolute multiple of industrial pricing and industrial property pricing at the time. Um, people paid it and they kept coming back and they kept getting bonked because they didn't really have a good uh, road base at the time, didn't know too much about you know, all the ins and outs of construction that we do now and um, realised he was onto a good thing. Fascinating. There's such a, so many common stories like that about self-storage starting here in Australia, uh, people chancing across it and trips to the US. Uh, it's a great reminder of the importance of getting out and about and seeing what else is, uh, is in the market. And for the Asian market, there's no doubt that uh, it's, it's, a front, it's a frontier industry at the moment and, and people are really just trying to work out how, how on earth it works uh, in these different sub-markets throughout Southeast Asia and mainland China. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly interesting to see some of those Asian markets in, in somewhat in their infancy, and they've got their own challenges around, you know, property and property laws and leasing versus, versus, versus the opportunity to purchase them. But it's, it's a really interesting story to be watching the growth, um, and I think the pretty strong dynamic growth of the Asian market at the moment. And, and from that background of where we've come and where we are now, I think it's, um, yeah, it's certainly an interest, interesting time for the, for the industry globally. And, and Thomas is a second generation family business, which is pretty typical in self-storage. Uh, how do you work in with your dad? He's a strong personality uh, and the founder of the business and, and delivered some great success. And you're now taking that uh, to another level and, and bringing your own stamp to, to the business and the industry. 
Uh, how do you how do you structure that on a day to day basis? Do you have external boards, or is it? Yeah, it'd just be good to get an insight into into how the family business works. Yeah, we're very look. I'm very fortunate, very blessed that I have the opportunity to be working with my dad day in day out, and really leaning on his breadth of expertise and experience, and um, and his patience. I suppose I think the younger generation we always want more kind of immediately. Um, but I think having that ability to really have my father still hands on. So yes, I'm CEO. Um, I have a lot of autonomy over a lot of areas of the business, be it the financing, the structuring, uh, the operations, the property developments that we've got on. So there's a lot of facets to our business now. Um, and, and I think we just have a wonderful relationship. You know, I'm really working in with him um, in, in a lot of the major decisions across the, co the company. And it's, it's, it's really good um, to be able to have that um, bouncing ideas and, and um, different opportunities with one another. Um, and, you know, I've been in the, in the business probably for about seven or eight years now. And so there's still so much more that I can learn. Um, and, and I really enjoy that. And I think we work fantastically. We've got different skills. Um, and he has a lot of uh, faith in, in what I do and, and where we're going and the company that, that we've been able to grow in that time uh, and the new development pipeline that we've got going, going on. So we just work really well together. Um, and I think there's also a benefit in that, that we can make decisions really quickly and we can move forward. We don't have an overly uh, arduous governance structure um, with a, you know, a big extensive board or anything like that. We're, we're able to kind of make decisions and, and move pretty quickly. Fantastic, a lot we can all learn from that. 2020, what an incredible year for everybody uh, on uh, around the world and, and self-storage is, is no different. Uh, the industry has fared remarkably well, I'd have to say. Question to you, uh, lessons learned in 2020, any memorable experiences or moments through the COVID pandemic that have really struck you and, and perhaps might have changed your outlook on the business? Yeah, I think um, COVID has been, uh, I mean, I think we'll be studying this for years and years and years to come on the, the outcomes of not only the economic, but uh, mental health um, and uh, the economy and and individuals and businesses and industries. Um, and we're living that right now. Um, so I think it's been really, the best thing has been, it's a, it's, it has been a challenge. Um, but at the same time, I think the best thing that I've got out of COVID is that it's actually brought our team together closer as a business. We've really gone out of our way to be engaging even more so um, than we were before and, and leaning more on the technology that we probably didn't lean on beforehand, obviously, such as we're doing now in Zoom. And I know everyone, a lot of people have a bit of Zoom fatigue, but I think on the balance of things, um, the, the ability to be able to engage a lot a lot closer with your teams one-on-one -on -one and as a group, I think we've been able to pull together and work really well. I think there's a, in our business, there's been a real appreciation that we're in an industry and a business that has been somewhat resilient relative to other industries, relative to other businesses. Um, and so there's a, there's a real appreciation of, of what we're doing. And then also to see the customer side of things. Um, we always see the best and worst situations of what customers are going through. We see some fantastic ones about growing businesses, um, about you know buying your first home or buying a new home. But but we also through this COVID we've seen some really difficult um, mm. stories. And it's it's really I suppose an honour to be able to serve customers in those situations and then to get that really positive feedback and our staff have been just so empathetic with all of the different reasons why people are storing now um, you know occupancy is up uh, demand is up for storage as people are moving situations are changing so i think 
the positive to come out of that is just our ability to be able to serve not only our team internally, but obviously our customers as well. Yeah, fascinating. And and any particular changes in demand patterns that you're seeing? And, and you know, examples I know that we're seeing in our business are the, the work from home, the work from anywhere phenomenon, uh, which I think is absolutely here to stay that that concept of work for anywhere is uh is a, is a dead set game changer for for you know uh city planning and and the way that people run their lives and and business uh yeah any changes in demand patterns that you're seeing from business customers residential customers and others yeah i would say that we've got um probably a growing market now of people willing to use self-storage for lifestyle i think we always had that especially in the highly densely populated areas we've got the building that I'm in here, um, we're just in, in Sydney's suburb of Waterloo slash Moore Park, where you've got a huge amount of density in terms of apartment living. So we've always kind of seen that here, but we're starting to see that, I think, at, at our other stores as well. People working from home, people spending a lot more time at home, obviously wanting to declutter, uh, wanting to make room for that work, uh, work from home office. So I think there is a bit more of a trend of that, people looking to self-storage beyond just I need self-storage at a certain point in my life because I'm moving or I'm buying a new house or I'm staging a new house and a smaller element of, of business customers. I think, um, I think there's a greater appreciation now of the breadth of, of uses for self-storage and people willing uh, to use self-storage as, as an ongoing service rather than potentially a grudge purchase at, at times or, or a, a period that they only, only want to be there for a short term. So I'm hopeful that you know that's a that's a longer trend for our, for our industry. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Uh, looking forward beyond 2020, please, can it happen quickly? Uh, what's next for the self storage industry? In, any key themes? Uh, they might be around innovation or building formats. It's it's great that you're delivering multiple projects at the same time. So you're absolutely at the forefront of that uh, here in in, uh, in in the Sydney metropolitan area. Uh, so, yeah, what, what are you seeing next uh, around the corner for our industry? Um, I think for our industry in general, I think there's a lot of um, investments trying to find a home in self-storage. I think this has really brought, uh, brought to the fore um, the resilience of the self-storage industry. Um, you can see in the US market, especially in terms of property REITs, uh, self-storage are up there probably amongst the, the top two or three that have been um, so resilient to this pandemic also through the GFC and through recessionary periods. Um, and, and in that, there's, you know, there's cheap money out there. They're looking for income. They're looking for a safe place to park money. And so I think we'll see um, more money trying to find a home in self-storage domestically and also international money as well, trying to find a place for self-storage. So I think, yes, it bodes well for the industry. I think um, with that comes challenges as well. Uh, ideally, we're not, we're not going to find oversupply, but I think there's a natural kind of, uh, a natural break on, on oversupply because of the time it takes to find a property, to acquire that property, to get the planning in place and, and to develop that property. So there's, there's kind of a natural um, a slowing of, of, of oversupply that can happen. Um, but yeah, so I, I see it a bit of a boom time in, in the sense for money coming into the industry. I think the industry as well is going through a, a pretty good transition to um, greater technology, greater customer experience. We've probably been a, a bit slower to adopt, um, but now through this pandemic, we've realised that yes, we can very easily do contactless storage, which was, you know, we'd always look at the reasons why we couldn't do that uh, prior. Um, and, and it's probably, I think in the last few years, especially from our perspective, we've really looked at that customer experience and what we can be doing better in, in, in terms of not just 
refitting old warehouses. It's, it's really purpose-built, um, beautiful properties, ideally, that uh, people and customers want to be uh, there for in a longer, uh, longer term as well. And, and how they use that as well is not just individuals for, for furniture, et cetera, or buying and moving and selling, uh, more in those small businesses using them as a business hub. And I think that the services that we'll start to provide in those businesses, we'll, see, we'll start to see a, a bit more services, value-add services beyond just, just the self-storage. Yeah, fantastic. Couldn't agree more. It, it is such a watershed time for our industry. And, and I agree that the weight of money trying to find a home in self-storage globally uh, throughout Asia and also here in Australia and New Zealand is, is remarkable uh, in that chase for yield. And, and to see storage as, a, as an industry perform with such resilience again as it did in the GFC, uh, and this time even more, I'd have to say, uh, it's a real testament to the service that we provide to the local customers and communities. So, so totally agree with that. Uh, and here comes some technology and innovation at long last into our industry. Um, so like so many industries, COVID is accelerating various trends. I think Thomas, a fair comment. Uh, and, and that particular trend of, of automation technology, it sort of feels to me like we've had about five years of, of progress happen in nine months in technology. And certainly we're not there yet. And we're trialling and we're testing a few products, as you, know, you and I have spoken about in the past. Uh, and those products will look different in, in a few years' time. But you know, it, it, it's great to see uh, that we can give better customer service off the back of better technology. So let's throw to your other great passion uh, outside of self-storage and your family, and that is, uh, is water polo. And you know, it really is a privilege to have you with us today. You know, not too many four-time Olympians around. Uh, as you know, I've had Grant Hackett, a good buddy of mine, on a uh, previous episode, multiple Olympian, multiple gold medal winner, uh, and uh, you're both uh, big, tall guys who go pretty well on the water. Um, Matt, share with us, if you can, some of your great Olympic experiences, the pride of captaining your country, uh, and, uh, yeah, just good, just good to get a bit in, insight into, into what went on in, uh, uh, in your Olympic journey. Yeah, it's pretty overwhelming. It's pretty difficult to uh, back up after Grant Hackett being on your show. So, <laughs> mate, you're in good company. Don't worry, mate. Holding yourself very well. Yeah, no, he's an absolute champion. It was a, it was a brilliant, um, it was a brilliant uh, video cast of, of seeing Grant Hackett, and great to see that he's an investor in the industry as well. Yeah, look, I was, I was very fortunate um, from a very young age. I loved sport. My parents really put me into sport, encouraged me um, with my brother and sister to do as much sport as possible, and I think. Um, I really try and instill that into my children as well. I think it's so important, uh, all of the things that you learn from, from teamwork, from leadership, from, uh, from discipline, all of those things. And I was really happy and, and obviously honoured to be able to represent Australia at the Sydney 2000 Olympics, 2004 in Athens. I got to meet my now wife, Elka Graham at the time, Elka Whalen now, um, and she was a, an Olympic swimmer and a silver medalist in Sydney 2000 as well. Um, 2008, being able to captain side which was just such an experience I'll, I'll obviously never forget that um, and I learned a lot about myself I learned a lot about teamwork about servant leadership um, even you know after two Olympics already and then by 2012 I'd, I'd had a couple of years off we had a, a couple of children um, came back into the team and that was really such a wonderful experience because it was it was a harder journey to get to those Olympics um, but at that time I really enjoyed um, the different aspect of leadership. Um, we had some young players in that team, some old wise players as well. Uh, and we had some victories along the way. We had some losses, unfortunately, but they all stood out for really different reasons. Um, going back to Sydney 2000, 
You know, imagine walking into an opening ceremony um, and you're, you're 19 years old. Yes, you know about the Olympics, but you're training so hard and you're so focused on, on processes and what will eventually be outcomes that you kind of forget the size of the Olympics and what it means to, to a nation and, and to the world. And, and I just remember walking into that opening ceremony of all of 110,000 people and it was just, wow, this is what it's about. You know, it really, really hit me in a beautiful, positive way. And I remember dancing away out there in the in the stadium. I'm not a great dancer, I don't think, by any means, but um, <laughs> just that euphoric feeling. And then to be able to play in front of your in, in front of your family and friends. You know, sport brings with it wonderful highs and and terrible lows as well. And you know, I I, I enjoyed all of those along the way in, in the Olympic Games. Um, I remember 2008, the heartache. We only needed one goal in, in one of three games um, to be able to get through to the to the next stage in the top six. We ended up drawing with Hungary when a when a, a goal wasn't allowed in the last second. That would have been we would have won. We would have gone through. Um, and Hungary actually ended up going on and winning the gold medal. They didn't get beaten in that Olympics at all, other than our draw. So. Yeah, I had some just some wonderful moments. I also got to live over in Italy and live in Spain playing professionally. Um, so I picked up the languages. I, I just fell in love with the culture and um, just, you know, I've just been blessed to have a career that, that, that has included captaining my, my team, my nation, and then also cheering at Water Polo Australia as well afterwards and giving back to the sport. Well, Thomas, I got chills describing going into the stadium for the 2000 uh, Olympics. What an incredible uh, experience. And, and to be able to reflect on it um, uh, also with your wife, Elke, is, uh, is remarkable. So, I mean, thanks for everything you've done uh, as, an, as an Olympian for the country. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's quite remarkable. I, I'm really fascinated by the intersection of sport and business. Uh, so many high performers in sport that I know are able to bring that discipline into business. Some are not able to for various reasons. But love to understand from you, what are some key habits or disciplines that you applied in sport which have translated to business uh, and, and have benefited you in both those arenas? Yeah, look, I think um, the beauty of sport is that it, it all of those elements come together. To be able to be successful in sport, you need to bring all of those elements together, but they're always under trial under a pressure situation. So when something comes up in business, um, I think it's a lot easier to deal with having had that experience under you know, some, such pressure. Imagine being in an Olympic stadium. Um, I remember 2012, my final Olympics, and we were coming up against Greece and if we lost to them, we were out of the, the top eight and it would have really been a disaster for everything that we put in as a team, individually as well, what I sacrificed to be there at that fourth Olympics. Um, and it was a really pressure situation. We got together as a team beforehand and, and some things weren't working, some key areas weren't working in our, in our game. Um, and what I was most proud about was that when we came together, um, everyone was kind of humble enough and, and willing to give to the team to put their hand up where they didn't understand what was going wrong with their, their role in certain aspects. And we really worked together uh, for a long meeting that, that day before that game. And we, we ironed out some, some aspects of our game. The next game, I think, was the best uh, game we've ever played in the Olympics um, as a team throughout, throughout all of my experience, probably with the Australian team. Um, and, and so from that, I learned a lot, um, not just in that meeting, but but what led to the ability for us to even have that meeting, to speak up and even some of the younger guys putting their hands up saying, look, I don't quite understand this, what can we do? 
Um, and so that's one example, I think, of, of working with a team, of creating a culture in a team that you need to be able to bring to your business. Uh, and that's really the ability for everybody to, to have a voice, um, to be able to speak up and, and to be able to work through situations, uh, be it COVID, be it other, other issues that's going through your business. I think servant leadership as well, um, that to me is really, really important um, in a team sport, um, in an individual sport, even when you're a part of a team. I remember Grant Hacker talking about that as well. Even though swimming is seen as an individual sport, they're obviously the Aussie swim team. Um, so servant leadership is really being interested in, in, uh, in your others and being empathising with them and really um, being there to serve them. It's, it's, uh, it's a fine line between being a leader with an ego to being there to serve others and to be humble enough to, to ask the questions and, and invite others into that sphere as well. So I think that's really important. Discipline, um, obviously the discipline to be able to get up every day and to continue to do the same things and to really put into the processes rather than looking at the numbers all the time and just looking and focused on the outcomes and the dollars in business or, or the results in, in sport. So I think that's really, really important, having really good, strong processes. Uh, and, and to be willing to do the same things over and over if that's what it takes and to be able to tweak them as well. Um, and then probably finally is just the character. Um, you're not going to succeed in anything if your character isn't strong. Um, and you know, people will question your character or question your integrity in all, all aspects of life and in sport as well. Um, but you've got to be willing to know that you've gone to bed at night, giving it absolutely everything, putting it all in. Uh, and, and have the right values to be able to succeed as a team and as a team in the business sense. That's a wonderful summary, Thomas. Fantastic. I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Uh, I, I'd be interested, just as a follow-up question, the concept of servant leadership, uh, which I absolutely subscribe to, how has that played out for you in 2020? You touched on earlier the impact on staff and customers. Uh, and, and the pandemic really has brought a, a large mental toll uh, in all markets. Uh, and I know viewers of this will, will have experienced that directly or indirectly in their family or business or personal life. Uh, yeah, how, how has your leadership been impacted or evolved out of uh, the incredible lessons of 2020? I think it's um, you're taking a greater interest in the aspect of people's lives, of your team members' lives outside of just the purity of, of the business and, and the nine to five. Um, you know, we have some, some regional meetings where we're going around the table and, and we're going, look, you know, how are you? Any issues? Obviously, in an individual sense, if they don't feel like sharing it with others, but also just, just getting to know a bit more about how they're dealing with this um, and if there are any issues that they want to bring to the table. And it's probably something we wouldn't necessarily have touched upon as much beforehand. Um, but I think everyone uh, reacts differently to these situations. We did have a period of time where we had a lot of people working from home. We still have um, quite a bit of our, our management team working from home as well. So it's, it's really important that we're checking in more often um, and, and getting to know how they are, you know, just outside the business as well. The second thing I think is, is having a lot more faith in your team as well and the integrity of your team. Um, you know, we're relying on them to, um, to still be working when they're working from home, when, you know, they don't have eyes and ears over them at all. But I think um, that's really giving me a lot more faith in my team that they're still managing to, to, to get great results. They're still pulling together um, even better results than we've had in the past. And, and so I think it's, it's having a bit more faith in your team um, and, and ensuring, you know, when you're, when you're looking for new staff, 
it's more about the integrity of the staff um, that you're looking for rather than the skills. We can train the skills that they need in our business. I'm, I'm pretty confident that we've got a great system now about the different roles that we need, but it's really about uh, integrity and and being and being that um, beacon of integrity back to them as well. I've been sharing more with the team, I think, from the business perspective and, and personal perspective as well, and I think that that really um, bodes well with the team. Uh, yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, and what an incredible opportunity! We could look at 2020 as 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 a hugely disruptive. Uh, uh, negative experience or look at it from a positive angle uh, and it sounds like you're doing exactly that in the way that you manage your team, you recruit uh, and and also obviously quite fortuitously self-storage has performed really well so you know, a great opportunity to get some lessons and uh, and apply to those in business going forward uh, for, for all of us involved in the industry. Thomas, a really uh, important question. I've just taken up swimming training again and I'm after some tips. Now, I'm only to up to about one and a half K in a session, mate. <laughs> and I'd like to do an open water swim, uh, the Rottnest Island swim in three years' time is my goal. I've turned 50 this year. Uh, how am I going to go, mate? Is, uh, is that realistic or, uh, or just give up now? Hands, I've got to say, one and a half kilometres is fantastic because I've just taken up swimming again myself, uh, <laughs> believe it or not. I um, Yeah, I, I get in the pool and, and I just about one kilometer and that's that's about my limit these days it doesn't take too long but it's so you so you're beating me there <laughs> and I, a mate of mine actually just got these form goggles to encourage me to do a bit more i think where you can actually see on a screen how many laps you've done so we're kind of competing against each other so that might get me up to the one and a half or two k's that you're getting to um but yeah look i mean there's nothing better to, than to get up early, have a swim, and, and you feel great afterwards, don't you? And then, then working towards a goal. And Rottnest Island, I'll tell you what, that's that's a pretty massive goal. I think that's about 19 kilometres, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. It's quite a swim. Uh, and, and one of the fellows I'm doing it with has done it before. And, and for our Asian audience, they might find this a bit weird. But while he was swimming from uh, Perth mainland to Rottnest Island over 19 kilometres, a, a large uh, white pointer shark swam under the under the crowd. And uh, he just sort of shut his eyes and kept going. <laughs> so I, I tell you what, that's unfortunately that's all I would be thinking about. I've seen the size of those great white sharks over there off the coast of Western Australia. I've played over in WA many, many times, but uh, and and swam down at Cottesloe Beach where I, I believe there was a massive shark attack some years ago. So try not to think about that if if and when you achieve that goal in three years' time. But I, I do wish you all the best. <laughs> Excellent. I'll report back in. I'll be playing the numbers game that day. Um, I just would like to circle back, if I can, Thomas, uh, as we start to close out on automation. I'd be really interested in your thoughts on, on automation. Uh, we have spoken about this uh, together before with some of the other operators in the Australian market, uh, and, and it, is a, it is a real theme of 2020. And our, our Asian friends, I think, are well advanced on this, and all sorts of automation which have gone to another level. We're a little behind the curve here in Australia and there's that, there's that balance which I think is unresolved and maybe there's not a right or a wrong but it's that balance between ongoing customer service and the importance of automation uh, for a couple of reasons. Automation brings a greater ability to track your data which then you know, circles back to improve customer service so that's a real positive. The other advantage of automation is obviously co cost reduction. Uh, which then leads to sort of staffing numbers, and that's you know we our, our staff are critically important to us, and and uh, and we we value them massively. 
Um, but it's, it's a bit of that balance, isn't it? And ensuring that uh, the health requirements of customers who may not want uh, direct contact uh, with, with, a, with, a, with a staff member, um, and also optimising staff time during the day so the staff uh, retain their, their, uh, their job, uh, but they actually can spend the time doing far higher value tasks through the benefit of automation. Really interested to see how you guys are embracing automation and, and any early lessons or, or thoughts you might have. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing topic, automation, because I think, as you said, we've probably been um, slow to adopt automation in the industry over here and probably generally globally in the US market as well. You have keyless um, solutions now coming through some of those US markets. And I know um, you're trialing that in one of your stores um, and there's, there's a couple of early adopters here. And I think, um, yeah, automation, ideally you can serve all of those customers. So you can serve those who, who want to be walked through the through what self-storage is because even though we've been in the industry for a long time here in Australia, our customers still don't truly, I think in general, understand or appreciate how self-storage works. So it's one thing to get the sizing and everything, but we find there's still a majority of our customers um, there's an education to, to what self-storage is, how it works, and, and to walk them through that to give them the confidence to be able to do that. Um, but ideally, yes, you can you can go all the way to automation for those customers that you know don't want to talk to you or touch you or they just know what they want. Um, and then all the way to the full service or you know, a full service model to those other customers. Uh, you touched upon data. Yeah, I think look, data is just so important. Um, and automation or, or trying to get to, an, uh, to achieve automation of sorts um, led by data is, is just so valuable and the decisions that you can make from a business. Um, and also using that data as well um, to a degree and I suppose automation in pricing as well and, and using data as well to drive um, unit mix and unit layout and things for new developments as well to really drive efficiencies. So uh, look, I, I agree with you. I think it's from my perspective, automation is um, it's there's somewhat of a goal that we as a business want to be able to achieve automation, not necessarily to be just that, um, but it really means that we'd be driving efficiencies in our business um, for internally for ourselves, our processes and, and, and yes, for financing, etc. But also for our customers, if we can if we can kind of achieve automation for our customers that they self-help, that they understand it so well because we've been able to educate them so well, I think we're, we're, we're ticking a, a really large goal. I do think there are still challenges legally um, with automation, with keyless entries, and, and that's a concern of mine, but I think, you know, the industry will, will eventually get over that. You know, there's a, there's a really strong um, legal background to self-storage. We license space. We don't have care, custody and control, which means we don't have a key. Um, and then having a keyless model where potentially a court at one point may determine that that's holding a key, um, that's something that I think we as an industry need to get over and, and be really sure about um, so that we, we, can, we can be very certain that we're protected by the relationship, the contractual relationship that we have with, with customers. Good summary. Uh, thanks for that and, and thanks for um, sharing your experience. Well, look, Thomas, uh, we're coming to the end of our, our time together on Storecast. Thank you so much for your time today. And look, you know, generally, uh, one of the great things about this industry is the quality of the people involved and, and you're a great example of that, you know, and, uh, and a full credit to your, your achievements 
in the sporting uh, environment, both on and off the field, and there's no doubt Renter Space has got a great momentum in the Sydney metropolitan market and uh, perhaps other markets in the future. Uh, and you know, and thank you for sharing your experiences today with us. Uh, it's, it's some really good learnings uh, for myself and also for the audience here around servant leadership uh, and just the importance of looking after your staff uh, and your customers and some wonderful lessons out of 2020 which are going to hold us all in good stead as we go forward. So Thomas, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you making yourself available and uh, we look forward to uh, chatting with you again soon. Have a great day. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, let's have a swim when you're down in Sydney next, when uh, when you open those borders up and uh, can come on down. And look, great initiative what you're doing with Storecast, uh, with Store Local, and, and I really be, appreciate being invited into this and um, look forward to more developments, more growth in, in not only our business, but in our industry as well. Good on you. Thanks, Thomas. Have a great day. Cheers. Some great takeaways from that interview. We'll see you soon on this special expo edition of Storecast.